So this is a uh, special day in church calendar. So, when I, in, a, in a Baptist church, pretty good chance we have no clue what today is. Because uh, we are in a Baptist church. If we were a Presbyterian or Anglican, uh, Catholic, Methodist, we, we would know uh, what today is. But uh, apart from what this day celebrates and remembers, we could not be a church. So it's, it's fundamental to our existence. Anybody know what today is? Over here, Pentecost. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, so that happens uh, 50 days after uh, the first fruits or Easter as we call it today. Um, so 40 days after is the ascension of Jesus Christ. So that would have been May 25th uh, in our church or in our year this year and uh, making today Uh, Pentecost Sunday, the day we as Christians celebrate the Holy Spirit's presence being poured out on us uh, from God through Jesus. So um, it is amazing to me as we have gone through the book of Ephesians, I have my thoughts and my burdens why we chose Ephesians, uh, uh, why I chose it a long time ago, Uh, but I am uh, constantly astounded how God is speaking through it into the issues of our church, and I had no clue uh, when I planned this. I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm not that smart to be able to pick out what we're talking about today with it being Pentecost uh, Sunday today. Uh, and so what I'm going to ask that we do, we're going to read Ephesians, but before we read Ephesians, um, we're going to read Acts chapter 2 for just a little bit. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, put your finger there, put a marker there, and then flip over to Acts chapter 2. I'd uh, just like for you to see some connections scripturally that I'll make evident as we go, uh, as we uh, think through this. And, and I'm going to pray uh, that God does His work through His Word uh, this morning. Uh, this is something that God Himself does and will do and reserves to do for all eternity uh, with His Word. And so, uh, if you found Acts chapter 2, we're going to start, we're going to read Peter's sermon on Pentecost as he is trying to explain what's happening on that date, and we'll make connections with what we read in Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to ask that we stand as we read together, uh, Acts chapter 2, let's start with verse 14. Well, the Holy Spirit has already come upon them, and they are ministering, proclaiming God's word. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make full of gladness when your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself said, and he's quoting Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witnesses and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And you flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Begin with verse 1. We'll stop with verse 10. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. You may be seated. You go on reading, he talks about what some of those gifts are, various roles of uh, ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and, and the work that they do. Um, and so what I want to do is bridge what we see at Pentecost, what Paul is explaining in verses 7 through 10 especially, I think is directly connected to Pentecost, perhaps maybe even in Paul's mind uh, as he writes this in prison. So... As we've read Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3, he has talked about the why. He's explained what Christ has done to create a people for himself. That's us. People broken down from all various ethnic groups, cultural groups, and now the hostilities between these have been demolished by Jesus. And bringing us as one in worship of Jesus, being his people, in which the very 
spiritual authorities are looking and watching and I believe observing week in, week out and having either screeching and horror or amazed and wonder at what God is doing in bringing people that normally would not be together, should not be together, but yet they're one because of Jesus Christ. We've talked about what that means, that we, what God has put together, let no man put asunder by our various ethnicities and various cultural differences. It's critical for us to understand this. It has something to do with our worship even. And so now he talks about what makes us one in chapter 4. He talks about how this unity, how this church is to operate now. And for the very first peculiarity of the church, he talks about unity. In verses 1 through 16, the very first thing he talks about being God's people is unified. And he talks about how that happens uh, being unified and being walking in a manner worthy of what God has called us to do. And, and we looked at this and we saw uh, uh, very, a few weeks ago that we live among others knowing the value of unity in the church, that we now live among others with values that encourages unity in the church. This is where the humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another comes in. This is where we live among others working to preserve unity in the church, that we're eager to do that. And the very first division happens is in our mind. When we separate ourselves from the church in our mind uh, in various ways of doing that way, they uh, instead of us, uh, and then you start making divisions, them versus us. And, and so how that is the first place that instead we are seeking unity, working toward that. Uh, and then we talked about what makes us one last week as we saw how biblical unity is bound up in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, as we see this breakdown in verses uh, 3 and 4 and uh, looking at the various roles of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 6 is this amazing thought. God, the Father of all, who is over all, therefore that means we submit to God in everything. And let me just say that as we look at this, as we consider like the worship summit, the question we must ask is what pleases God? And the various elders' role, they are to ask the question, what is God's will? Not just the will of the people, but prevailing above that is what is God's will and seeking that together and praying for that to be the key question above all. And so God is over all and through all. That means God is working through us that there is not a, a privileged position because I'm, I'm a pastor. That God is working through all of us, laity and uh, those who are paid alike, that God has the ability to speak through us. And so when we're gathering together, addressing one another, that we are actually listening to God work through us. Working through us. And that's why it's so important to be able to share with one another uh, looking for God working through us and God working in us. That is amazing to me that God is in us. I, I think that what we've got here is the second incarnation. Jesus being the first incarnation, incarnation, God in the flesh. But now Jesus is working through us, his spirit working through us to be the incarnation of today. To be as Jesus describes or as Paul describes the body of Christ. So what does that mean? That means how I treat you and how you treat me. And going back and forth is how we are treating God. Isn't that amazing? How we treat one another is how we are treating God. So consequently, you see in, in chapter 4, the latter part of how we speak to one another, how we treat with one another, not letting bitterness, wrath, anger coming in, slander coming in, because this is blasphemous as, as talking to God and how we speak to one another. So this is some radical things that he's bringing out. But in the midst of talking about unity, 
Now we've got verse 7. He has this conjunction, but grace was given. And what he's about to do is he's associated with all that we have in common. One, 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 one. He repeated it seven times, one. But then verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us. And so what we have here is not a um, not uh, uniform, all right? I, I was talking to someone uh, recently, and they were saying, you know, I think maybe we should just be like the Mormon church. You just have one church for a region. Just, you know, the church of Nightdale. Just, that's how the Mormons do it, you know? I said, well, okay, the problem with that is that what Mormons do is not unity, but uniformity. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses is uniformity. If you go to Jehovah's Witness building, you see the exact same pattern over and over, even in the building. Uh, it's, it's like this franchise. And what we've got instead is unity, which allows for diversity. But the unity is never hurt by the diversity. It's from the unity that we get diversity. That's why he says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, Let's start with verse 7, and let me just bring out, first of all, that Christ uh, demonstrates uh, his lordship. And in verse 7 to 8, 9, 10, we're seeing this demonstration of lordship. It's almost like a parenthesis. 8, verse 9, verse 10. It's like Paul mentions Christ, and Paul has this tendency, whenever he mentions Christ, oh, let me tell you a little bit more about Christ. And so that's what we see, 8, 9, and 10, is this parenthesis. Let me tell you a little bit about Christ. And then when we get to verse 11, he's kind of picking up where he's uh, stopped in verse 7. Christ, if you read verse 7 and read verse 11, you'll see how there's a lot of uniformity or connectedness together with that. But now 8, 9, and 10 is this is parentheses. And so let's talk about the lordship of Christ. Christ demonstrates his lordship by issuing out his grace. By issuing out his grace. And so it's kind of a unique way that Paul is referring to spiritual gifts. You don't see him do this in other books, but he does it here, where he refers to callings and spiritual gifts as the grace of God. First of all, you need to understand, why, are any, why, is, anyone, why is anyone in God's church? Well, we go back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, don't we? For by grace you've been saved. Remember that? For by grace you're saved. It is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we are all here in the exact same way. The only reason we have claim to Christ, claim to God, is that God has given grace to us. We're not anyone greater or lesser than another. We are equal sinners and dead to God. But God has come in and saved us by his grace. And so that's where we start off. And then God, uh, through Jesus, starts doling out callings, doling out giftings as a way to demonstrate that the church belongs to him. So when we're talking about Christ demonstrating his lordship, I'm going to say specifically over the church. He demonstrates his lordship over the church by issuing out his grace. It doesn't really matter what you want. I have tried to convince my family that, that, that music is a part of who I am. They don't believe me. I, I, you know, they just don't. And maybe because I was trying to practice the chanter, uh, which is a beginning bagpipe. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'd always do it at nighttime because, you know, it was when I was there. And, and then, like, they revolted on me. It's like, Dad, you've got to stop. That's just, we can't sleep. And you, but, but there's always this desire with him. Wouldn't it be wonderful I could have music come for me? And so right now, that's just left to me. I do it all the time, but I'm the only one who enjoys it. 
It is not affirmed by the body, all right? Um, it's not affirmed by my family. But what, sometimes I'm like, I wish I could play. I wish I could play like Deb did on the piano. I, I wish I could sing like Sandy did. I, but, but you know what? That's not my call. God issued out his grace. And so sometimes you look at one another and you realize this is God's doing it, 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 because it belongs to him. We have certain things in our house that, that belongs to our, 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 my, who I am, my possessions. We've got some cars. Uh, we've got uh, some uh, equipment. I, and I was thinking about this as, as you know, they get 16, the children get 16. And it's like, okay, what are we going to do? We've got three drivers now instead of two drivers. And one of the, you know, they all want to go somewhere. So how are we going to do this? And so uh, right now our, ours is like, okay, we've got three working cars. We've got another one that doesn't work. If anyone wants it, let me know. Um, but we've got three working cars. But one of the things I, I try to tell them is like, look, we'll let you drive this car. We'll let you use this car. But at any moment, any time, we can rescind the offer, all right? Uh, we can redirect it as we go. And why do we do that? Because it maintains the ownership that belongs to, what, to, to me. Because I'm the one paying the bills for it. Uh, I, I'm paying the price for it. I, we had some equipment, and I just mentioned to one of my sons, like, you know, I, I'll let you use this, this tent I've got that gets this extra tent. Next thing you know, he's telling someone, well, I, that, I, that, I'll have a tent. I, I own that tent. I, that's mine. I, and I said, wait a second. Now, there's a big difference between letting you use the tent versus giving it to you. So what I'm trying to present to you is that the spiritual giftings that we have belong to Jesus Christ. We cannot say that they are ours to have. They don't form our identity. Do you understand that? They don't form our identity. And that ultimately we are going to be held accountable to God for the gifts that he gives us. So Christ demonstrates his lordship by issuing out his grace. One of the things that had dawned on me, occurred to me, that as we work together as a church, that you know, maybe we should ask the Lord of our church, would you grant to us people with gifts of evangelism? I think that maybe should be how we pray. As we are talking about how can we grow, how can we impact Nightdale, you know, you got to have some people who are evangelistic, and there's a couple ways that happens. And, and one is we teach because it's upon all of us to be evangelistic. It's upon all of us to share the gospel. He's called every disciple to do that. But there are some that God has gifted with the, the reaping aspect of that. And so I thought, you know, maybe God will raise up someone or bring someone to our church. But God, we long to make Nightdale uh, more uh, under the reign of Jesus Christ. We need an evangelist. So why don't we just start praying for evangelists? As we think about this as a church, as, as elders and leaders, that we need to be considered, what does this mean for this church to belong to God and that God could grant us what is needed for us to do his mission? So God, Christ demonstrates his lordship by issuing out his grace. Let's keep on reading. Grace was given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift that belongs to him. Therefore it says, when he ascended in the high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now here is quoting Psalm 68. And some interesting things about this. Um, he ascended high, he led a host of captives. First of all, Psalm 68, when you read that, you, re- you realize that's clearly about God. He's referring to Jehovah. But here Paul says, it's not just referring to Jehovah, God the Father. It's referring to Jesus. New Testament, now listen 
the next time Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door. You need to remember this. The New Testament makes it clear that the Jehovah of the Old Testament is, is the Jesus of the New Testament. So next time you have a Jehovah's Witness coming to your door, you just say to them, we have no common ground. There's no need for us to talk because I believe that the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. And if you do not believe that, then do not pretend like we do. And that's what they do. Oh, you want to believe the Bible, right? They suck you in, omitting key things, one of which is this idea, the Jehovah of the Old is the Jesus of the New. Here you have Psalm 68 being quoted. In Psalm 68, you see it as Jehovah. Here, Paul is saying, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. When he sent in high, he led a host of captives. And, and here's the picture, is that God has won the victories. And in the ancient time, you'd have the kings that would, would win these battles and, and would come back to their home cities and would lead behind them those that they captured and would have booty or, or uh, a plenty from the victories. And they would give out the bounty, give out to the people that they belonged to. And there would be this parade, this celebration of the victory of the king. And so what we have here is Paul saying, this is what Jesus is doing uh, when he leads a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, what's interesting is that Psalm says, receive gifts, uh, receive gifts to men, where here Paul says, gave gifts to men. Now, what, which one is this? this? is a contradiction. Well, I think what you've got here is this allusion to Jesus' ascension and Pentecost. All right? Um, so... Let's just go there for a second. Uh, I want you to remember in Acts chapter 2 where, where Peter is quoting Psalm 110. Verse 34, Acts 2. David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's quoting Psalm 110. And what is happening here is that he says, When Jesus ascended to be with God the Father... So we celebrate May 25th on this year. When that happened, God the Father said to Jesus, Come, sit at my right hand, and let me make the enemies your footstool. In other words, I will now give to you, Jesus, the kingdom. I will give to you the kingdom, and let's start by issuing out our spirit, the Holy Spirit. So why did Pentecost have to happen after the ascension? Why did Jesus say to the disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, Acts 1, I want you to wait and tarry until you receive power from on high, then you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Why did they have to wait? Because the waiting was dependent upon Jesus' exaltation at his ascension and therefore issuing out the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, the Spirit came upon Pentecost to fulfill the law, the, the festivals of the Pentecost. Uh, and so waited until God's timing, and the Spirit of God came forth. Now he is issuing out gifts to the people, whereby God's reign can happen now. God's reign happens as we submit to the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, over and over again, the Holy Spirit reigning in your life is not an option. It is a command. And it is evidence of us walking with God. It is evidence of our sonship, our status with Him. 
It is not for just the holy ones, the special ones. It is for all believers to have the Spirit of God in their life submitted to Him. And so as a church, we function as a church when we submit to the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely critical. And so He now is doling out gifts. Christ validates His Lordship by His ascension and Pentecost. Verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. And now what he's referring to here, I believe, is that he's referring to not just coming to earth, as Jesus alluded to in John chapter 3, verse 13, in talking to Nicodemus. He said that how can you uh, descend unless you first come from on high, and saying that he's come from on high, but also him being put into the grave and to the lower parts of the earth to say that he has uh, been uh, submitted to the ground. Because of his death and and submission to the grave, he has now ascended, validating his lordship. Validating his lordship to to give proof, to give evidence that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now, uh, one of the great things about uh, hospitals in this area, I go to Wake Med frequently, because you do go to Wake Med frequently, uh, as well as other places, but uh, when I go to Wake Med, I, I go in and uh, I have uh, gone through some um, clearances to say, yes, I am a pastor in the area. And so they gave me this little badge, you know, this is a clergy pastor, looks like a wake med, looks like I'm staff. Some people ask me directions and all. Uh, but I go in there, and, th- and here's, here's the great beauty of this, okay? I go in there, and I go to uh, the lady with my, my parking ticket, and I show them, I am a minister. See, here's my badge. Great. Let's validate your parking. In other words, we give you permission to park for free. It's great. Uh, and so uh, it is all evidence. I'm giving evidence that, yes, this is who I am. And there are certain perks, I guess. And so here we have Jesus saying, I'm giving evidence for who I am that I am Lord of Green Pines. He's the only one who's been put to the grave and rose again and ascended to give to us the spiritual gifts. Now, what I love about this is that, as I mentioned, it's incarnational. It's like the second incarnation. And, and how that works is that it's in so mundane events of the day-to-day, God does stuff. I mean, you think that when God works, it, it ought to be announced with a trumpet or something, you know? But here's how it worked here at Green Pines. Best I can tell, hearing, a group of men would gather together at a store, local store, the Daniel store up at the intersection of Hodge and 64. They talk. Now, usually I would be very um, wary of any God moments in a group of men just talking at a store. But in this day, Someone came up with the idea, we need a church in our community. We need another church in our community. And a group of ordinary people, some of which are still here, just normal folks, had this idea. And through what seemed like mundane, just gathering together, God was doing something supernatural. That's how it works. God does supernatural things and just mundane gatherings. That giving test of time and the changing of hearts, it reveals what was at work. 
man or God. But at the time, it looks a lot like just men. I think about that as I, as I read a story. Just a, a small group that was gathering together. A pastor was there and visiting pastor was there and they asked if they could talk to the small group and just help them understand their function. And so they had dinner, but the husband wasn't there, didn't come to much later. And the wife was kind of embarrassed and explained that her husband owned a construction company, always seemed to work late, but he, he'd come in. So the group arrived and the visiting pastor kind of talked for a while how to use spiritual gifts and, and build each other up. And, and they asked to, to get along for a, few minutes, for a few moments together, seek God for how each one might channel God's grace to the others for their rebuilding. So this is kind of like a new thought. They've never done this. And so uh, they, uh, when they came back together, he assumed they would know each other's needs because uh, they'd been together, but that just didn't happen. So the husband came home and showered and joined them in just a few moments. Uh, and so as they were seeking the Lord for how they might want to minister to each other, visiting pastor felt like just, this is new territory and that he's about to enter in a fiasco. So he kind of begged out and asked for the pastor to, to kind of bring it to a close and pastor asked if anyone had any special problems they'd like to pray for. The hostess said, yes, as a matter of fact, I, I showed up to the group and I've got this rash all over my arms. They said the doctor prescribed medicine, but it hasn't helped. So they invited her to sit on a chair and put her right in the middle for prayer. And as they prayed, Christ, the head of the church, did his ministry. He said, I sense in my heart the Lord is telling me your problem is the result of great anger. She was silent for a moment, and then she began to softly cry. She confessed, I am so angry at my husband. He promises to be home for dinner, but night after night we eat without him. He's broken his promises to me over and over, and I feel like I'm widow as I raise our children. There was awareness that something had been revealed that two years of small group meetings haven't revealed. The husband was blushing with embarrassment. To make the story short, several men began to speak about how they wrestled with the same problem. One spoke with deep meaning with God in such a crisis as God has made everything new and just this desire. For the grace of God, the husband knelt down and started crying in the lap of his wife. The group prayed for them more earnestly. The visiting pastor commented later, the Lord had invaded his body and the gateway into the supernatural world has been crossed by us all. The following Sunday, visiting pastor was there t- to preach and saw the small group gather in the parking lot. When they found him inside, the woman pulled up her sleeves and said, look, no rash anywhere. Husband said, I've cut back my work day to eight hours. I took the kids to the zoo yesterday. We have a new home. All this to say, in normal, mundane meetings of us getting together, God can at any moment invade because it belongs to him. And the supernatural intersects with the mundane gatherings of us just being together because it belongs to him. Now let me just share one other thought here. Christ demonstrates his lordship by issuing out his grace, validates his lordship by ascension and Pentecost. Christ directs his lordship through the church. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So you get this. Jesus, he's above the weather system, all right? So the weather systems have no effect on him. In other words, the government systems and and the rulers and powers of, of this earth no longer have effect of his rule. He has ascended above all of that. 
that he might fill all things. Now, let's go back. Remember, he's talking about how. First part, Ephesians, he said why. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 23. It says here, God, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. So this, this sounds like what we just read. He put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church. So he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. He gave the head over all things. He gave him to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So it is the dream of God that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And everyone, all the world to know that he is king of kings. That is his dream. How is that going to happen? How is he going to fill all things with his lordship? According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23, as well as what we just read in Ephesians 4, he will do that through the church. Through Green Pines. Through the Hepzibahs, the North Sides, the Edge. We keep on going. He will do it through the church. Christ directs his lordship through the church. It starts with one soul under subjection to the Holy Spirit. One soul that submits to the reign of Christ through which he works through. That little seed, that little mustard seed that though it starts small, though it be like a little bit of yeast, just a little bit, that given time it will spread and saturate through it all. The kingdom of God begins within, but there will be a day when it will be without. But it first begins within. Green Pines, we do not submit to the Holy Spirit of God. We have no hope for Nightdale. The church doesn't submit to the Holy Spirit. No one will. Peter says judgment will begin with the house of God. Christ directs his lordship through the church. Let me just show you something here at the end. Let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 12. Just so you know, the book of Revelation one revelation it's not plural don't call it revelations it's one it's revealing of Jesus Christ one revelation chapter 1 verse 12 then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven gold lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest the hairs of his head were white, like wool, white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet 
were like burnished bronze, refinished in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, these things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let me just bring this to you for a second. When we get a a heavenly vision of who Jesus is until he comes back. What does one like John see? He sees every church in the name of Christ as a lampstand of which Jesus is right in the midst of all the churches. And these lampstands belong to Jesus. And in his hand, the Bible says, are the stars which are the angels of the seven churches. The word angelos, angel, is messenger. The messengers of the churches are in the hands of Jesus. What does that mean? Every church belongs to Jesus. They're His. And if He calls messengers... They're in his hand until he does away with them. Green Pines, we are as a lampstand that is to light up Jesus. And Jesus has the right to put out that lampstand. He has, he does, and he will. And he can cast out those messengers. What does that mean? The reign of Christ. His kingdom comes through the church. But there's another bit. Go to chapter 19. It doesn't end on Revelation 1. Revelation 19. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed on a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword. This is the same sharp sword that we saw in Revelation 1 with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There will be a day and time when everyone will know who Jesus is, and his kingdom will be throughout the world to no end. Until that time comes, he holds the lampstands, and he says, Lampstand, shine your light. 
Let the sword come through you, the sword of Jesus. You are the body. Let it come out as a a double-edged sword. And messengers, do your job as a messenger. Be in my hand. Remain in me. Because there's a day and time when I will come on a white horse and the sword, the word of God, will be used not to save, but to judge. We have no idea when the day will come, but until that time, let us be a lampstand unto Jesus that we belong to him. Church, don't be fooled because we look awfully human. Don't be fooled because it's so mundane in the task and meetings and things. There is a supernatural reality that is at place. And Ephesians says, know it and walk worthy of the manner with which I've called you. Let's pray.